you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. We will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for person of interest, featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude and our new recruit, Anna. Jude, Anna, it's a spooky season. What's your favorite, like, monster-slash-horror movie? Ooh, Alien. It's gotta be Alien. Fun fact, my dad rented Alien when I was, I don't know, I feel like I was like 10. Every time I get a story out of you that involved your father and like when you were a kid. It it's borderline child abuse. Yeah. yeah. Like every time it's a, it's a pattern. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was very young. My brother, four years younger than me, very young. And now my brother doesn't go up the stairs uh, with anyone behind him because of that. Like there's a direct line between watching Alien at a very impressionable age and my father chasing him up the stairs after the movie. And now my brother with people behind him every yeah every story you tell from your childhood is like Mm -hmm. horrifying and i'm glad that you're in a better place now jude thankfully my health insurance covers therapy yeah which is honestly better therapy than most of the therapy i've had over the last few years um for me uh what would my See, I don't watch a ton of horror, but I would say I, my I'm also favorite... like I'm also including like monster movies here because I'm also not, I'm also somebody who like really can't watch horror, but I like monster movies of you know, like stuff that features monster in them. Like I yeah. love a good Dracula, but I can't do like horror. It, it, okay, the movie is called Byzantium. It is from 2012. It's got uh Ronan in it, uh, as well as oh, what's her name, uh, Gemma Arterton. It is about vampires, but the distinguishing feature of this film is how vampirism works. You can't just like bite someone and make them a vampire. You come to this creepy island. They go into a cave on this island where they see cells. Like you go into this island, you see yourself, and that self, something happens. They kill you, you kill them. I don't know. And then blood, the waterfall coming down the island turns into blood and you crawl out of the, the, the cave of vampire. I'm not selling it right. It is the single most Lovecraftian cosmic horror thing I've ever seen on film. It's interesting, terrifying in that like existential horror sense of the word. Not like it's not a jump scare. It's not a body horror. It is mm-hmm. just like what the what the fuck is going on here? Like something inhuman is happening here and I love it. It's also got Johnny Lee Miller playing a syphilitic uh, sociopath, literally a syphilitic (laughs) sociopath. Uh, This movie should come with like seven different content warnings because it's got a lot of stuff going on that's messed up. But if you haven't seen it, uh, I highly recommend it. It's really beautifully shot uh, and it has this crazy scene and the soundtrack to it, like the, the, 
sound effects, particularly around the island, are bananas. So yeah, check it out. Cool. It's great. Cool. My favorite vampire movie with a like baller soundtrack and really like and and wild cast uh is only lovers left alive still haven't seen that everybody tells me i should see it but i've never seen that it's a good one yeah yeah so it's one of my it's one of my favorites i really enjoy it it's another this is one that like doesn't really it's not quite horror but it is a vampire i thought you were gonna say queen of the damned yeah, fucking I was gonna be like, which too. I haven't seen. Like, no, I love that movie, but it's it's fucking yeah, no, stupid. I like, but I, it's whereas Interview with the Vampire is like, I think it, it it's it's one of my top vampire movies and like particularly good date night movie. But that's a whole other thing. But it's like it's a very good movie. Queen <laughs> of the Damned is like great in the sense that only like truly schlocky movies can be and. Queen Queen of the Damned is a farce that didn't that nobody knew they were making at the time. I mean, it's camp. It's great. I love it. Yeah. No. I, what I love about it, though, my favorite kind of camp is the kind of camp that they make by accident. Stuart Townsend and Aaliyah are like fucking smoking in that movie. It's like, yes. like I get yes. that we couldn't get back <laughs> like any of the vampire sad boys for this, but Stuart Townsend acceptable for for the stop there. You want to know a fun fact? I guess I need to watch this now. That's what he did instead of being Aragorn. Really? Like Stuart Townsend? Did, that's Wow. Stuart Townsend. Do what, do that's a choice. Do you want to know my other favorite? Like, I couldn't do this because I was filming another movie. There was an actor who... He was impossible too, and I can't remember his name. Oh, I think I, I know what you're talking and about. Because here. Mission Impossible 2 went over so long on its... Yes, the guy who would would have been yeah, Wolverine, guy, Scott DeGray. Wolverine had to drop out, and Hugh Jackman got added third week of filming to X Men. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Yep. Talk about dentally iconic, right there. Uh, and speaking speaking of uh, Wolverine, have you two seen the trailer? Yeah. Ish types teaser thing for I, the next Deadpool yeah. movie. Hugh Jackman is there. I hope that he doesn't have to do steroids for this one. I <laughs> same. Yeah. Um, what are your favorite horror slash monster movies, Justin? Um. Well, the answer uh, I ch- I choose the only correct answer, which is the oh mummy. oh yeah yeah uh, valid <laughs> oh I'm yeah uh, valid. so it's so like the th- the three I've got to like if I you know, it's like if I'm gonna do it the three are the mummy interview with the vampire. And Bram Stoker's Dracula. Bram Stoker's Dracula is the only one of those that I would actually call horror. Yeah, no, like I, this is why I, this this is why I also include like monster movies of like that. It's the Halloween feel, but like I can't do horror really. Um, like I love I like yeah. Alien and Aliens, but like I I can't do a lot of horror because uh, horror has a very specific film language that works too well on me. <laughs> um, I have I have literally like. Yeah. A couple months ago, I went to a um, I went to go see a movie in like theaters and they were showing a trailer for a horror movie. And I actually had to like close my eyes and plug my ears for like 30 wow. minutes because I was just getting overwhelmed because I, I very I, I, I this is why, like, you know, I, I get very specific about like movies that I watch. Um, but and it's horror only that really does this to me. Like I can't do jump scares, yeah, like that. And like good horror movies yeah. are, are beyond that. Like I, 
I love a good Evil Dead. And that, that's one of the reasons that I like Alien uh, is that it's surprisingly light on the jump scares and stuff like that for for yeah. having this high. Yeah. Well, those are suspense movies. With, yeah. Those are gory suspense movies. At least the first one is. The second one's an yeah. action movie that happens to have aliens in it. Uh, believe it or not, this is not a podcast <laughs> about horror movies, though. Yeah, we are just in the spooky season. And frankly, I mean, I don't know. Is there is there a good is there a good horror movie about what? I mean, like, there are some good suspense movies about artificial intelligence. I would say like Ex Machina is probably the gold standard now. Is what's it called? What's the what's the one about the ship that goes through the black hole and comes back? Event and... Horizon. Isn't there a computer? I don't know. I wouldn't consider. I don't know. That's not like the focus of it. I think it's, it's not gotta... AI. Yeah, it's just it's just a spaceship full of a spaceship that yeah, went to hell. It's, I it's, guess. Anyway, yeah. tonight we are covering the like penultimate pair of episodes. So like the third and fourth last episodes of season two. Those are episodes nineteen and yeah. twenty of season two. Trojan horse and an extremist. I don't remember who's got these episodes. I don't remember doing one of them. So whoever's got that, go ahead. I did the summary for Trojan horse. Trojan horse begins. The number of the week is the CEO of Rylatech, Monica Jacobs. Finch goes undercover in her company and it's not immediately clear whether she's a threat or a victim. Uh, and it kind of turns out that she's a little bit of both. Uh, she is actively sabotaging her company but it turns out to be for good. She's discovered that Rylatech routers are throwing data to China. Uh, the ultimate culprit of which turns out to be Decima Technologies, a.k.a. Greer. And the data is a smokescreen for their intelligence gathering activities. They are also, it is revealed, to be the ones behind the virus uploaded by Kara Stanton, which is specifically targeting the machine. Elsewhere in the episode, Shaw effortlessly finds the library. Uh, this is my favorite part of the episode. The way that Shaw makes uh, Harold and John look like total fucking <laughs> jokes in their spycraft and just walks into the library as if they had put a sign on the outside that said uh, spies work here. She hangs out with Bear and immediately forms a bond with him and investigates Root. Uh, investigates. The value of that word can change depending on how bad you <laughs> ship those two after that iron scene. Fusco helps Carter realize Beecher is on the up and up, but not before he's. R.I.P. Beecher. This is a very short outline or summary, and that's because this episode doesn't really matter. This is the last episode. I would say legitimately this and the next episode and like some of the next episode are like the end of person of interest doing true. You said that last episode, though. Well, no, but I was saying like the, these episodes, this this like run of episodes here are like the show getting finishing up with it. Still like wildly setting up like this is arc stuff still because it's. Show- yeah. And that's but this yeah. is this is the transition period between. Number of the week throwaway episodes and where the numbers of the week, even when they feel away, are related to. We're soon going to get to a point with season three where there's no such thing as a throwaway. Oh, there episode. are there are throwaway episodes, <laughs> but they're well every now and then. But they're not like in season one and two. Where Meanwhile, I felt like the the, the plot number plot in this one was very. And I'll say this ironically relevant because huh. it does yeah. do a lot of work in escalating the threat posed by Decima. 
Yeah, this is where we establish yeah. what Decima yeah. really is. The number plot is pulling a lot of weight here, mm. actually. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, I, yeah, I think it it's, yeah, it's doing a lot of stuff of like, okay, what is Decima? Okay, we've got to tie, like, Decima has been set on screen, but like, there, we don't really get what yeah. it is or anything. Um, and, yeah. it'll be a- and now we have a sense of their of them being basically like a private CIA, a private for hire, even more and, amoral CIA. And it basically. establishes just how much information they have that like, you know, the Rylatech was creating network infrastructure for the DOD. Yep. And and all of that was getting, um, you know, siphoned away uh, by. Decima. So it really establishes that they have a lot of information. And even beyond just the virus, they are a very mm-hmm. substantial threat. I do appreciate in the um, the opening of this episode when like Cal goes to visit Elias in jail. Um, Elias is uh, engaged in a very homoerotic like self chess play. <laughs> like he's like I play against an invisible opponent who I can't see and like it's like yes we get it it's a metaphor it, it's yeah it's chess we we I've watched X-Men 1 and 2 you know I was wondering whether Elias was actually playing chess with somebody who we haven't been introduced to yet I think he's metaphorically playing chess and like it's it's against Alonzo like he, he's like he he's He's using the situation with AHR as like, and he's turning it into a chess metaphor. I think. Yeah, that was my read. Yeah, so some of this also has some really like just weird scenes with Harold and Monica. Um, do we want to talk about the yeah. hacking scenes and how I thought I was having a stroke watching them? Like, <laughs> as somebody who like, like I work IT, but like in a very like light way. Uh, like I do IT in a light way. I felt like I was having a stroke watching this. This is, it's not quite as bad as the two people saying keyboard shit. It's pretty, like, it's I'm pretty like, close though. You're just saying buzzwords now. This is not, this is yeah. real, this isn't English. It's, what, but what if I defragment the socket layer, Justin? It's the, <laughs> it's the 20th century. It's like the, the, the 20th century version of Star Trek's I'm going to science the science. Did you, did you forget what century we're in? Well, no, that's my point. Is it's not even the 21st century version because they're just like shouting words that they heard in like a nine like a 90s Cisco networking course. Like it's not even good relevant. Like I want to know how unforgivable this crap. The scene that really gets me though is when um when Monica first interacts with Harold as he's like pretending to be IT and they, and like immediately they have this like in-depth conversation about CPU architecture. It's just like, that was the one where I was just like, humans don't talk like this. No, it's the, it's, it's the, the way that like normies think and they're trying to like, signal to people who watch the show but don't know what technology people talk sound like that like look the nerds are talking yeah it's not yeah, great no, it's, it's pretty bad i'm like it's it's not even that it, it's not that just that it was bad it was like annoyingly like this is not helping the plot yeah although overall 
like the kind of corporate espionage plot was pretty decent and the the yeah. nature of the twist on it where where it turns out that like you know yeah. where it turns out that instead of like a few people at the company at uh, a few people at Rylatech being bad actors it is in fact the good actors who are in the minority it was weird cuz i couldn't remember this episode up for like the first like third of it <laughs> um I like and I was like, I think I know where the structure is because like the PA, the, per- the personal assistant is like acting sketchy and like they they have like the, the nice, they have the night, nice, like the, the, the lady seems rather nice. I'm like, I just couldn't remember the extent of it. It's like, oh no, yeah, no, everybody's in on this. Yeah, because she, she tries to be a whistleblower on like industrial espionage, espionage that she's detected does not go well for her. No, um, not that much. However, Bear gets some really good screen time this episode. Yeah, he he gets to, he gets to chase some guards into a locked room, as <laughs> well as perform a, a great act of treachery. Um, when Shaw comes <laughs> in, like Bear is just immediately like hi hi, and um, and Harold calls him a traitor. Which I I just said every time I visit my parents' house, this is what happens. Like any any of yeah. either of my parents, like oh yeah, no, I get to be the 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 uncle who spoils the, your 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 dog slash cat slash chickens. I think it's entirely in keeping with Shaw's character that she immediately bonds with the reformed attack dog. <laughs> <laughs> my one of my one of my notes here is oh hey, it's Uncle Nolan here to be cryptic and menacing. Let's. Because we can't, we don't think they exactly knew what Decima was going to be yet. So they just had like, they just have Greer, he doesn't even have a name yet. Like we will get Greer's name later. But like he is just here to vamp and say like generically things. Yeah. And I kind of love it. Yeah. No, they definitely know they want to do something with him. But they're they're clearly the writer's room is still like ironing out the end of the season and the top of the third season. And so they're like, well, just don't say anything definitive. Just put him in the episode, but just don't say anything. We can't don't say anything. We're going to have to contradict in like two episodes. Yeah. um, Yeah. It's uh, it's funny just because it's like. I mean, he can sort of just get away with it just by being like generically English. And really, that's all you need in 2022 to be like to be well, old, upper crust, upper yeah. crust English. I don't think anybody thinks that Boris Johnson is has the same vibe. Well, it's not. It's not just that he's upper crust. Um, it's that he is. I mean, like, it's not just that he's powerful. It's not that he's just upper crust. It's that like he lets on that he knows just enough, mm-hmm. um, and he's able to play situations very well. Uh, to be that appropriate. Uh, this episode also, as I alluded to, has some absolutely fantastic uh, fuel for the uh, Shaw and Root shippers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because Shaw, when she gets into the library, sees that Harold has a board for Root. Yeah, his uh, his like root uh red red yarn board and she's just like please tell me everything you know i need to kill slash fuck her 
pretty much yeah i mean that's their whole vibe from the first minute they meet and the the line of like you said i needed a hobby (laughs) god yeah (laughs) it was a fun episode i feel like you know it's it's kind of overshadowed by some of the other ones like general zone but i felt like ev- like all the episodes yeah, but after i feel it. like the yeah it's it's solid it's enjoyable to watch i feel like the even the numbers plot does have does have like a purpose to it i think i think the thing about sure. the about that is is that it does good building and i don't mean like world building in just like the sense of like like oh hey it is giving lore dumps it's like no it is flushing out and it's letting you realize just how widespread this new villain is. Right. Exactly. Yep. We ready to move on to yeah, episode sure. Yeah, let's go for it. I have to preface this episode by saying that I unfairly judge this episode every time I see it. Uh, because in Extremis reminds me principally of the uh, very bad Iron Man storyline. And Oh, you I mean the one where Iron prejudiced. Man makes the, the old man uh, face? Yeah. 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 I agree, uh, Land. I know but, that you trace. Yes. But that is not what this episode is about. Uh has its own questionable plot in featuring an old man. <laughs> uh it's written by Greg Plagerman and Tony Camerino and directed by Chris Fisher. So our number plot this week is essentially it's essentially actually the B plot, but I'm going to start with the first. Um, the number is a Dr. Richard Nelson, and John catches up with reception, honoring his achievements. However, John is too late. Um, the doctor is poisoned with polonium and has at most 24 hours to live. John springs Dr. Nelson from the hospital and explains the situation, and they head off on a whirlwind tour to solve his murder. It turns out he was targeted because he inadvertently leaked information about a failed clinical trial to an investor acquaintance, triggering insider trading and ultimately an SEC investigation. They track down the head of the investment firm and poison him with polonium in return before the doctor passes away. It's such a metal-like solution to the... (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The A-plot, meanwhile, is Fusco's past coming home to roost. Uh, HR is after him. Um, Specifically, Azarello has pointed the finger at him for Stills' murder. Through flashbacks, we learn about how Fusco became involved with Stills in the first place uh, and became dirty as he's grilled by Soriano from Internal Affairs. Carter listens in on a cloned phone and Fusco comes clean to her about his past after Soriano reveals that he's found Fusco's body dumping sites in Oyster Bay uh, and they're headed there in the morning to start digging. When they arrive, however, it turns out that Carter, with assistance from Bear, dug up Stills' grave and moved the body. And Fusco is reinstated for now. In the epilogue, Carter asks Fusco to be a fresh set of eyes on Cal's death, and Harold reveals to John that the virus has hit critical. I could care less about the A, the a plot in this episode, but I love the B plot in this episode because the revelation that how Fusco ended up falling in with Stills and that it wasn't that Stills was like a decent person to him, that Stills was kind to him. And it just was like a one step at a time kind of situation hits very, very authentically. And I really love that Carter listens and is not just like, you're dirty, but Carter understands and further understands that he is repentant and 
that it is largely, I don't know whether she necessarily acknowledges it, but it's pretty clear that like it is largely through Carter's influence that Fusco has made himself a better cop. And yeah. I love their relationship. And so Carter asking him to look at Cal's death is such a great moment because she's just heard all this about him. And she's telling him, yeah. I still trust you. This is something that is important to me. Will you help me? It's so good. I love this moment, this episode for their relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I, I those flashback scenes were, were excellent. And I think it also helps explain why Fusco turns himself around once he has like once he has an actual support structure again because (laughs) essentially he loses his he loses his support structure the only one that appears to him is stills um which does not go well and then you know with the help of carter and john even as dysfunctional a support structure as john and finch (laughs) and eventually when carter comes in it becomes a more a much more real one he flourishes because mm-hmm. they're yeah first john forces him to give up his old his old bad habits and then carter puts him on the right path shows him how to be a good cop again which he already was yeah. he just needed to be encouraged to you know to to be shown the the trust that he could do it yeah i i really love their relationship it's one of my favorite parts of the show that is not uh you know ai personally i find it absolutely hilarious that like in the in the number plot, most of it res- revolves around participation on a data and safety monitoring board um, and leaking information. Um, personally, I'm hoping that I don't need to worry about being murdered for participating on any of those. Uh, but also, I don't leak confidential information. So yeah. there's that. I really dislike this number personally. I feel like I'm okay with him dying. I think it's, I think it's most, like, I, I actually, I like him because it's, like, he's a regular dude, and he's a little bit shitty, like, yeah. honestly, like, I know people oh, like so this do guy. I. Um, I mean, like, I don't think he's, like, he's not even a particularly bad person, he's a normal dude who's just, like, a little bit, like, he is very He's just kind of a bit life. of a bastard, right? Yeah, and, like, the, the, I think the main reason why we might be down on him is that he is a bastard, to his daughter, Allison Scaliotti, who is yes. amazing. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, like, and it's like, how dare you? Not be in the first warehouse, will not be the last Warehouse 13 cast member we see yeah. on the show. Excellent. This episode also manages to have, have like one of my least favorite medical drama tropes, but also subvert it. This the, the thing of like, this person has at most X hours to live. And then that person lives precisely X hours and not a second more. Um, and every beha- everybody behaves like that's the hard deadline. And like, they're guaranteed to make it to that goalpost. Um, and not just, it's an upper bound. Um, but also yeah, that man does not make it 24 hours. No. Uh, but yeah, because his, the dude's heart like legit stops in the car and John gets out the, enormous syringe of adrenaline yeah oh can we talk about the stock trader they dump in the like like they dump in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the snowstorm <laughs> that dude's dead right oh yeah absolutely like he is 100 percent dead that dude has i'm sure that he does not know how to like not be dead of exposure 
Yeah. Like, I unless there is a gas station within, like, an eighth of a mile, dude is dead. Although this is, I mean, this is the southern tier of New York State, which is, like, cold, but not as cold as the northern tier. Yeah. Um, New York State is a large state. As somebody who lives in California, I appreciate how large states can be. Yes. I'm looking at you, East Coasters, with your tiny, tiny states that are smaller than our counties. <laughs> also, I, I I do appreciate that, like, uh, somebody on the writing staff was like, oh, wait, what's a what's a very awful way for somebody to die if they need to be uh, poisoned? Oh, polonium, because of... I, <laughs> yeah. Because somebody's like, oh, wait, didn't Putin kill a yeah, guy like did. that? Yeah, he oh, did. Yeah. Putin's the, a big uh... fan of polonium. <laughs> but then, but then the, the, guy, the doctor asks, how do you know what polonium poison looks like? And it's like, yeah, John, how do you know what polonium poisoning looks like? Uh, I get the feeling that that's not the first, the first person that John has killed with polonium. I mean, like, yeah, he's probably done it before. Yeah, it's. I'm not sure that John would, though. Like, John seems like the type of person who, like, would just shoot someone, but, like, in general would not be in favor of, like, poisoning them with polonium, because that's pretty... I think John has observed somebody dying of polonium before. Because generally, John is the person you, you send when you need somebody to die. Polonium is the method you use when you want to send a message. Yeah, I feel like Kara's the one that hit him with the polonium and john oh, was yeah, just oh, absolutely yeah. and kara got like weirdly hoardy yeah over it, i was gonna i was about to, <laughs> i was about to say something really inappropriate there but i'm gonna <laughs> i'm glad that i was the one who no, i was gonna to do it i was gonna go one further but also to briefly briefly rewind to the dude who's just like left out in the snow <laughs> yes um, yeah uh i i say that a decent chance that he's still alive because okay. the fact that it's snowing means that it's not particularly cold because I'm sorry as a Californian snowing means it's not particularly cold is like <laughs> no friend you need you need to you need to worry when it's not snowing and when the snow crunches under your boots when it makes that squeaky noise that's when you're gonna uh, die okay I, 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 I so like I I'm I'm as I'm right now, I am like closer to the ocean, so I've dr- I've experienced like a ten or fifteen degree drop, and this is what like should be for most people instead of dying. Um, <laughs> so it's like I have no idea what cold is. I mean, I, I I grew up in the northern tier of New York State at the very top, so I I was going to say you just have to consider that in order for snow to fall, the moisture has to be there has to be in the air to actually turn into snow and when it's real the fuck off cold uh that's not what's happening yeah yeah it's too dry yeah the i grew up in an area where at least every few years while i was growing up we would get a winter that hit minus 30 fahrenheit not celsius although it's pretty close to the point where they meet that's real fucking cold i'm pretty sure we had a winter that went down to minus 40 at one point when i was growing up ohio doesn't get that cold. cold ohio gets into like I think we get below zero a little bit, but not. You get to like minus yeah, 10, not, right? Not into the, sometimes we get double digits, sometimes, but not into the yeah. 30s and 40s. That's, that's Canada cold. <laughs> you don't fuck with that. 
That's the that's the level of cold where you can like go out with like a cup of boiling just water, throw it in the air, um, and throw it in the air, and it sublimates. Oh, I, at the end of this episode, we do get the uh, point where uh, when we get the like machine zoom out, instead we get a signal corrupted, and then the machine having to shut down primary operations. Yeah, yeah, which is like yeah, I and I think they they mentioned that in this episode that like John is frustrated that like this was an easy one to this should have been an easy one to detect and stop but the fact that the machine is operating at such reduced capacity means that they didn't get this warning until way too late to do anything about it except help him get his revenge and the machine and the machine missed uh cal until it was too late as well yeah and that have been an easy because hr had him in their sights for a real long time so yeah, I mean, like two whole. Episodes. So it's interesting to see what that, what the consequences of that end up being. Um, so I, yeah, we're, we'll see what the what ha- what you know in, in our next episode we'll talk about the, the the last two episodes of the season where we see what happens now that the machine is rebooted. Something that I forgot to mention in Trojan Horse is when Greer is talking at the phone on the phone at the end of the episode when he's talking about Harold. He says, I'll do everything in my power to determine his identity and render him irrelevant. Uh, I didn't catch that, but dang. Yeah, no, I was like, I had it in my notes and I'm like, wait, oh yeah. That's interesting. Um, we also have, we have codes for both episodes. We've got, we've got a bunch. Yeah, yeah, because we've been so getting we sh- lots of them. So um, we're ju- I'm just going to do Trojan Horse first. Um, the first code in Trojan Horse is from Numbers, uh, from Balaam's Second Oracle. Interesting. The second is a excerpt from a translated letter about uh, from the Reich's Commissariat regarding the use of poison gas to exterminate people. Light reading. Yeah. The third is uh, is from Niccolo Machiavelli's The Prince. Interesting. Um, the fourth is from a CIA report on the Phoenix program. It's a memo called a retrospective on counterinsurgency operations. Uh, the Phoenix program is not Zephyrin Cochran discovering no. warp, right? You guys can't, it is you not. listeners it cannot is, see the uh, look I just gave the two of these two, these two about that. I hate Zephyrin Cochran. No, they felt it. They felt it though, Jude. No, it's, it is, it, it, it's the CIA's basic, it was the CIA's attempt to do counterinsurgency against the Viet Cong. I'm sure that went w- super good. The fifth is from a memorandum on potential threats to information management systems by cyber terrorists. Relevant. Well, that yeah. seems relevant. Um, the sixth is an excerpt from The Valley of Fear, which was the final Sherlock Holmes novel. Uh, the seventh uh, is from The Introduction to Codes, Ciphers, and Code Breaking. And the last is from the Bhagavad Gita, which is the the uh, Sanskrit epic. And then there are, I don't believe there are any actually in, in Extremis. Interesting. Or, or at least I, I, don't, I don't have a list of them. Let me see. Just Because the next see. one is, seems to be chock full of them. Well, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's ramping up to self-immolation. And then once it shuts down. Or no, there's one. Um, it's a red text one, um, but it is from the principles of surgery by John Bell. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, 
we're gonna we um we are getting to the end, and um then we are and last two episodes, and who knows what's going to happen to the machine. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got anything else we want to talk about for these two? I, I, th- I think we're, I think we're good. Um, we've got, we've got lots of, lots of action on like all of the plots. Mm-hmm. You know, even- all right. So next time we are going to be covering episodes 21 and 22 of season two. Those are the last two episodes, zero day and God oh. mode. Until next time. You are being watched. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.